0: When I was growing up my family was privileged enough to go to Cape Town on holidays most Decembers and I always remember sometime after school would close and we would start packing our caravan. My mom did most of the work and I've got three older brothers so I always remember a lot of wheat bicks being packed into that caravan in preparation for our trip. And um, uh, my dad would be working right up until the moment we left um, often running errands because we were going to be away for a really long time. And so um, that enabled him to be with us for that entire time. And um, and then uh, we would walk up the driveway and my dad would drive up the driveway um, because sometimes us inside the car and the caravan just wouldn't make it up our really steep driveway. We walked up the driveway, we'd jump in the car and our trip would start. And um, we would stay somewhere mid-country that, that first night and then we'd start again early the next morning and these are the trips that some of my, my fondest childhood memories are in and um, I always as a little girl thought these trips were so much fun and they must have been fun because we did them almost every year but um, can you imagine driving to Cape Town with four children? I mean can you imagine how much he's touching me, my parents must have heard, or or he's on my side, or even I've heard, he's looking out of my window. I mean, it's ridiculous. Can you imagine how many times my parents must have heard the phrase, are we there yet? We probably started asking that when we hit about Peter Maritzburg on that long trip. Are we there yet? Four kids, can you imagine how many times they would have heard that? My mom had a system for answering that question. So the sh- her shoulder would be our home, and our destination would be right at the end of her middle finger and so every time we asked are we there yet she would show us on her arm where we were and whenever she got down to this home this hand area we would always get really really um, excited because we knew we were quite close are we there yet it's kind of a question we've been asking ourselves as we walk through this COVID pandemic are we there yet at the beginning of lockdown, I heard quite a lot of people saying things like, can't we just cancel 2020? It's not, it's not working out really well for us. Um, maybe we just cancel it. We just go straight from 2019 to 2021 in the calendar and just, you know, and that was at the beginning of lockdown. So that was kind of like asking, are we there yet in Peter Maritzburg on our long trip? I mean, we've seen lots of really hilarious memes that have come out. You know, if, if 2020 was a pizza, it would look like this. If 2020 was a slide, if 2020 was a chip flavor, I'll give you a little bit of time to read that one. If 2020 was a witch, if 2020 was an avo, or if it was a sandwich, or if it was a boat, no worries, can't we just cancel 2020 and move on? Can we not just go back to normal? Sounds a little bit like the Israelites Um, after they left Egypt and they were traveling through the desert. If you think of anyone who asked, are we there yet a lot? These guys were walking through the desert for 40 years. Can you imagine? You know, I often find myself getting so frustrated with the Israelites because if I had lived in Egypt and I'd witnessed the plagues, if I had been led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, if I had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, I mean, I would definitely not have doubted. I would definitely not have become discouraged or distracted as we walked around in the desert. Or at least that's what I like to think about myself, hey? We look at those Israelites who are finally out of slavery. Finally, they're free. And they start to grumble. And they start to compare their life to what it was like in Egypt. In slavery. If we read in uh, Exodus chapter 16... Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, they were moaning to, to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Can't we just go back to normal? Can't we just go back? This, this crew had grumbled and complained and begged the Lord to get them out of Egypt, to get them out of slavery. And now they're out and they're longing to be back. They're longing for what they had in Egypt. Last week I preached um, from Psalm chapter 23 and I spoke about, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because we're walking with our shepherd. But I spoke last week about how walking through 2020 has felt quite a lot like walking through a valley. Um, it's quite dark or, or perhaps identifying with the Israelites, it feels a lot like walking through a desert. And regardless of, of, of where we are, it's quite easy to start to grumble. It's quite easy to long to go back to normal, even if what used to be was not good. You know, this journey is tough. It makes us question where God is. It it makes us long for what was. If only we could go back to normal. Haven't we heard that phrase around us so much? If only we could go back to normal. But what if our 2019 existence was not great? What if it was not what God had planned for us or for the world What if the only thing that made it normal was the fact that we have normalized it? Again, the Israelites normalized slavery. Slavery had become their normal. Was it normal? No. Was it what what God wanted? No. Somewhere along the way, sin had taken over. What God actually wanted for them was, was freedom and prosperity and eventually the promised land. And what about us? What about now? What what has become normal that may actually be sinful or may have enslaved us? Brene Brown at the beginning of lockdown wrote these words. We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalize greed. Inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. And what if 2020 isn't cancelled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't cancelled, but rather the most important year of them all. That's a poem by Leslie Dwight. And what a, what a beautiful and, and quite different perspective, at least from a lot of the perspectives I've been hearing. You know, that, that as uncomfortable as we may feel right now, as uncomfortable as we may be, that this could be an opportunity to reset, to, to change a few things, to make corrections where we maybe have gone off course. A chance to be corrected. I want to say something about our shepherd that I didn't say last week. The good shepherd comforts his sheep. And the good shepherd also corrects his sheep. And these are both signs Of love the opposite of love is not hate it's indifference I just couldn't care and so correction is a sign of love Hebrews 12 verse 6 says the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes each one he accepts as his child the psalmist declares blessed is the one you discipline Lord the one you teach from your law for surely the Lord corrects those he loves As a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I don't know about you, but being corrected is not my favorite thing. I don't think it's anyone's favorite thing. It's not something that we look forward to. You know, kind of like, oh, what are you going to do this weekend? Well, I'm going to go out and find some people to correct me. No. (laughs) In fact, often it's the opposite. We get, get quite weird When we get corrected, we can get quite defensive or we can get um, quite accusatory or or very sensitive. Or sometimes we try to rally people around ourselves to, to try and prove that we actually are right. But we're not right all the time. We can't be right all the time. And if we were, we wouldn't have needed the shepherd in the first place. And so loving correction might be really difficult, but it's essential for our growth. We, we learned last week that sheep are, are animals that cannot survive without a shepherd of some sort. And, and that's exactly how we are. We need our shepherd because we so easily go astray. And so it might feel like people are hating on us when we get corrected. It might feel even when God corrects us that he's being a bit mean. But actually, he's loving us. David says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Your rod and your staff. In biblical times, a shepherd consistently used both a rod and a staff to tend to his flock. And both of these were ways to protect the sheep, Um, but they each had a very unique um, way that they were used. So the rod is shorter." Um, and it was used to fend off wild animals, so you could use it quite abruptly. But often what shepherds would use the rod for was to guard the sheep. And, and they would just gently prod the sheep with this rod. Um, and, and just to kind of direct them, if they're kind of walking off course, they would just prod them in the right direction. And, and a willing sheep would, would easily just turn and change its course. Um, but a stubborn sheep wouldn't so much. And that's the need for the staff. The staff that has a crook at the end, um, the shepherd would use this to kind of more strongly exert his authority, still in a very gentle way, but actually to hook this crook over, over the neck of the sheep and, and to pull it in the right direction, to essentially move the sheep in the right direction. Um, he could also use the crook to pull the, the sheep away from danger. Um, and so again, you can see a very, very lovingly using this rod and the staff, but it's for correction. Was it comfortable for the sheep? I imagine not, especially the the staff. But David says, I can fear no evil because you're with me, with your rod and your staff, with your protection and your correction. You see, real love confronts, real love corrects, real love disciplines. And we have to ask ourselves, are there areas in my life where I need the shepherd to correct me? Maybe just me, maybe us as a church, maybe even the whole of humanity. Where have we veered off course, either ignorantly or stubbornly? What if there is a new normal that God wants to move us towards, an actual way that God wants us to live that's different to how we were living? You know, if I look at the Israelites again in the desert, there were definite lessons that God taught them. And if I just have to take a guess at some of them, um, I would say that God was redefining what was normal. Slavery had been normal. He's redefining so that freedom becomes normal. I think that he was making them into a new kind of people. Um, The people that left Egypt were definitely different to the people that entered the promised land. And not just because it was a whole new generation, but as a nation, they acted differently. They were different because of the lessons that God had taught them. And thirdly, I think that God was teaching them to trust him. There's so many stories and accounts in Exodus, go and read it, where the Israelites had to learn to trust God. And what if if God had similar lessons for us on our journey, through our desert, through our wilderness, through our valley? What if he was trying to redefine normal for us? What if he's trying to make us into a new kind of people? What if he's trying to teach us to trust him? Today, I want to mention three things quite quickly. Each of these things probably could have a whole series dedicated to it. But they're three things that, when I look at them, I think they've been normalized in society. And yet, I don't think that when we look at the Bible, they were ever intended to be normal in God's kingdom. And I want to encourage you, as I mentioned these few things today, to to be listening for the shepherd's voice, to be willing to be prodded gently by the shepherd, and to be willing to be corrected and perhaps to change course. Firstly, um, I want to speak about what I've called the culture of movement. Something that we see in our world today, it's the inability to be still and quiet. You know, it's this this culture of hurry and busyness and and, and it leads to depletion, which has become quite normal, you know, where our value is found in what we do and we're kind of addicted to productivity. This is a culture, I've called it the culture of movement. I preached a whole message about it towards the beginning of lockdown, I I called it Look In. And so if you do wanna hear more about it, you can go and search for that on our YouTube channel. Or there's an awesome author called John Mark Comer who you can go and read if you want to find out a little bit more about this. But living a life of exhaustion and depletion is not God's best for us, obviously, and yet it's become normal to us. Rush and hurry and busyness and having no time and no space. Having a full diary is not what the shepherd meant when he came to bring us life to the full. Especially when it's accompanied by inner depletion. Psalm 23 says, lead me beside still waters. You make me to lie down in green pastures. These are not images of of work and busyness. But silence and solitude are gifts to us where it allows God, our shepherd, to restore our soul. It's where we're able to hear his voice. It's where we're able to be still and know that he is God in our lives. The kingdom of God is fullness and wholeness, identity and Christ, and yet the culture of movement is the opposite. The second I've called the culture of more, a culture of, of dissatisfaction, of greed, of materialism, comparison, consumerism. You know, this constantly needing more and this discontent with what we have or what is. You know, this unattainable pursuit of happiness that we believe will be answered if only I had. And you can fill in the blank. We seem to be living so far away from the world where Paul is able to say, I've learned to be content In any and every situation, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. God's kingdom is one of contentment, of generosity, of gratitude. And yet the culture of more is the opposite. The third one I want to speak about I've called the culture of me. John Don wrote a poem centuries ago saying no man is an island and yet I don't know it feels to me at least in, in the white western world that I know it feels to me like we're living kind of islandish lives. It might not just be me but um, what we see modeled in the media what we see held up as the norm um, someone once referred to the cult of the nuclear family And I wonder if our islands have become this little bubble around our nuclear family where we we care about us and nobody else. Where our nuclear family could have become a little bit of an idol to us. And we're starting to live quite isolated lives. There's a few problems with isolation that I see. Firstly, it's not how we were meant to live. Um, we spoke about this last week that, that sheep are herd animals and I believe that, that humans in isolation, it's a, it's a problem and we've seen that during Corona. God made us for community, he made us for relationship and, and there's beauty in this connectedness, there's growth in connectedness and it's how God made us to live. We see it in the very design of church that we do this journey together together. And so isolation is not how we were meant to live. Isolation also can lead to self-centeredness. You know, if something doesn't directly impact my little island, we don't really need to care about it, do we? Because it's not going to impact us. We might care in theory. You know, it it might be sad, um, but not enough to to do anything about it or to change how we live. And yet when something impacts our island, our whole world falls apart. And everybody should care about it. You know, when it touches us, it becomes all about us. And isolation can lead to self-centeredness. I think you can see this, even in tiny little things. Think about if if someone ignores you in the shops, how it automatically becomes all about you. hey? If someone walks past you and they ignore you, like, what have I done? How could they be, be so rude to me? Rather than thinking about that person, like, I wonder what's Wrong with them? Shame or what? Maybe I could support them somehow, or maybe even send them a message to say, you know, I saw you in the shops, you really seem to have a lot on your mind. Could I pray for you or how could I help you thinking about you? But so often it becomes about me. And I think from that ridiculously small example all the way through to the huge issues in society, things like race and poverty and crime, if it doesn't affect our island. It's all too easy to just switch off the TV and disengage. You know, there's there's numerous cultures as I look around the world, even our country, that get this so right. I look at Indian families and everybody's your auntie, not just in what you call them, but because family is extended and you're cared for like family and you're included like family. I look at black culture and the beautiful thing of Ubuntu, I am because you are. This corporate mentality, Middle Eastern cultures, I see a lot of this as well. We look at the Hebrew culture, which we see in the Bible, and we look at leaders like Nehemiah and Ezra who took personal responsibility for the sins of their, of their nation. They wept before the Lord for sins that they didn't even commit themselves. This is not island mentality. This is a corporate mentality. And scripture seems to encourage us to be courageous enough to make other people's problems my own, to care enough to make other people's problems my own or to fight on other people's behalves, to care enough to build bridges and to link hands with people and to love not just our own people, not just those who are on our own island, not just me and my people. Another issue with isolation is it, I believe, is the opposite of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation Is about reconciliation and how can we be ambassadors of reconciliation if we're sitting on our own island how can we reconcile anyone to Christ if we can't be reconciled to them ourselves we can't John Donne the guy who said no man is an island he was writing from Europe and he continues in this poem to say no man is an island entire of itself Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. What a beautiful picture that everyone holds equal and intrinsic value. And if anyone is lost, if anyone is impacted, all of us are impacted. Continues to say, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind, this beautiful corporate mentality, this beautiful biblical mentality. You see, God's kingdom is one of community. It's one of harmony and diversity and togetherness. And the culture of me is the opposite. And so today, one or more of these things might have rung true to you as it has to me. You might have felt the, the shepherd prodding you on something today as you've listened, or he may have been prodding you on something completely not mentioned yesterday. today. And what I want to encourage us to do today is to walk this journey with the shepherd. But not to be stubborn, but to be willing to change course. To be willing to make some adjustments, to ask the questions, where have I lost my way? What needs to change? with me. This beautiful picture and the beautiful reminder of this is that although we don't like correction, the rod and the staff are in the hands of our shepherd who loves us and wants the best for us. And so let's listen to him. Let's walk obediently with him on these things, even if it's uncomfortable. Because what if 2020 is is the year that we've all been waiting for? It is gonna go down in the history books. And it's the first time that I've had a chance to write history that I might be able to speak about with my grandchildren one day. But here's the question, what are we gonna be speaking about? And you know, what are we gonna tell them in years to come? What are we going to, What is this pandemic gonna be remembered for? You know, is it, is it going to be about the masks and the social distancing and the lockdown and homeschooling and different kinds of bands and us exercising in our gardens? It will. But will there be more? Will we also be remembered at this time for some kind of societal shift? You know, will we be able to talk about that time when you know people really started to love each other or people really started to share will it be the time when barriers came down or societies came together will it be the time when the church really became central and influential in communities will it be remembered as the time when gratitude became a thing the time of racial reconciliation the time when corruption ended the time when the family unit was strengthened i hope so i hope so and we writing it now you know big change comes from lots of little changes in lots of different people and it starts with us and it may start with something as simple as some kind of adaptions to our budgets to our diaries to our conversations and to who's around our table you know, I'm, I'm hoping that when I ask our Heavenly Father, are we there yet? I'm hoping that he'll point down somewhere in his hand to say that we're almost there, although I'm not sure that he will. But another part of me is, is really concerned that we'll come to the end of this journey and we will have wasted this hardship and tragedy that we would have been too stubborn to learn the lessons God was trying to teach us, that we would have been too bitter to become better, that we would, be, would have been too busy pointing fingers at other people who need to make changes that we must change ourselves. What a pity if the only story we have to tell is about masks and lockdown. Historically, Pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly. With little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. What do we need to redefine? What do we need to leave behind? And what do we need to fight for? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you are our shepherd. And that you lovingly correct us. I want to thank you, Lord, that you walk with us and that you are with us in this time. And God, I pray that the lessons you are trying to teach us, that we would be willing to learn them, that the changes that we need to see, that we would be willing to make them, that you would show us what to fight for, what to leave behind what to redefine that what's normal would be what is your kingdom and that we would define our worlds according to you and your kingdom that we would fight for those things god won't you lead us and guide us won't you gently and lovingly correct us and won't you bring change to our world In Jesus' name. Amen. And so here we are. We're in this valley. We can't go back. We can't just stop. We can't climb out. And so we have to walk through. But how we walk through will largely determine what it looks like on the other side. God bless. And we'll see you next week.